This is a journey into sound. Brought to you in living color on WGDR. I'm Tony Epstein. It's the Magical Mystery Tour. Join us as we dive into the heart of things, exploring new ideas and new ways of seeing and being in this wondrous, crazy world we share together. Lying on your back in the grass, you can't see a thing except for the clear blue sky, a few cotton clouds, higher and higher in the great dome of the sky, filling it with song. They sound quite mad, don't they? It's a story, but that's why I'm here to tell you stories. Out there somewhere is like, you know, Jack Armstrong. Superman. It's all just as real as you are, and I am. <laughs> and the Lord and the angels in heaven, how about them? What do you think, they're the figment of somebody's imagination? Huh. Nobody makes up anything. The time has come to go out of your mind. Are you ready? There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind in living color on WTDR. Wow. I mean, some of the scenes you will witness may appear to border on fantasy. Just listen. It's happening. I can feel it. How would you explain it? It's beautiful. God, it's God. I see God. It's all remote control. Each one of those images was electronically based. I can't remember when I've been so moved. How do you like that? Why, preposterous. Thank you very much. Let me warn you that I say what I think. Say what I think. I'm a complete individualist. I'm against communism, capitalism, fascism, Nazism. I'm against everything and I've often wondered what it would be like to be happy 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. The fault, dear Buddhist, is not in our stars, but in ourselves. And good luck. Are you sitting comfortably? Well, put your seatbelts on because you're in for a howling ride. Because I am the narrator, the voice that guides the blind, following up with your ears, but your mind, and allow me to take you back on fourth through time. 
explain the significance of things you may think insignificant now, but won't further down the line. Here we are. <laughs> Good morning, Tomio. Good morning, Tomas. I think this is my fourth time meeting with you and dialoguing with you. Is that true? I think there was a maybe, th- maybe the fifth time. I'm maybe not the sure. fifth. I was trying I, to remember. Well, considering that you showed up a week early today, <laughs> it's it's getting hard to keep track of anything. <laughs> I was meant to come in next week, and I thought today was July thirteenth. But I have a very good excuse, which is we got a little puppy a week ago, and that has changed my perception of time. I very proud of having got up at 2 a.m. this morning so that he could pee because he's so little and nevertheless being well rested and then I arrived to have breakfast here with you and David Halle, at, uh, in, in, at the... Uh, well, that's right. We were planning to have breakfast together. Next week. But next I, thought week. It, I thought it was already... Mm-hmm. And so I went to uh, the cafeteria and there was a residency there and uh, actually I had a former student from Sterling greeted me. That's Annika Klim. But you know, Tonya, how about if... Uh, to get the ball rolling in play, why not see if I can review the, the three topics, if we can put it that way, that were the first three, the sessions I remember and then we'll see, because we talk, talked about many different things and today may be a chance to make, connect some of the dots, as you like to say. Yeah. Okay. I'm game. Okay, here we go. The first time, which was each time I came, I've come in here, I've learned so much. It's been an adventure. I go home feeling better than I arrived, even better. And uh, the first time, it was all about being a member of the Goddard community and what that's like. Now, at that time, there was Carla, you, and me. And we talked so openly about many, many things, all in which we managed to connect with being a member of a community and things like that. But... But I had no awareness if anybody was listening. I didn't think of myself so much as being on the radio as much as having a conversation with two people whom I like and love. The second time was 
or the second time that I remember, you astonished me by having looked at my Facebook posts. And that led to, I think, a hilarious rumination on Facebookology, as I call it, uh, because I was charmed by your perception of Facebook. Because, frankly, I think of you as someone who's really savvy when it comes to what I gather is nowadays called media not in the sense of the mainstream media but what we're doing right now is part of media and uh, for me Facebook for you was part of what you call the social media which I never thought of it that way I don't think of myself as someone who knows anything about social media I just do Facebook and I do it on my computer Fa- uh, social media to me is all these people who Twitter and tweet all day long I don't know what they're doing but anyway there was this con- this this odd situation where you were uh, if I may put it bluntly innocent. You saw the surface of Facebook, but it never entered into the game. It's as if someone uh, it reminds me of a cartoon I saw in the New Yorker long ago where there's a, 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 one of those elegant ladies in a department store and the person who's serving her has a chessboard in front of her and he's got some pieces in his hand. He says, it's a game he says, you move these pieces around on the board. <laughs> <laughs> and that is sort of the perception I thought you had of Facebook. So I left feeling, oh, I'm pretty, I'm pretty hot on that Facebook. I'm a Facebookologist because I had, as it turns out, many thoughts about what it means for me, how I use it, compared to what it seems like other people use it. And there was, let's call that uh, Thomas's Facebookology conversation, right? Now, after that, though, I did start to wonder whether anybody was listening. And started to be aware that I'm not just talking to you, but I'm talking to people out there, A, who I know and who know me. This took me by surprise. And B, whom I have never met and will never meet. You see that that was a, an experience. Firstly, talking about Facebook, where I do connect with people but have an illusion of some control, not much, as you were surprised to discover, as to who gets to join in which conversations. But I made this long... Uh, thought-out analogy between having a conversation face-to-face in a room with people where you go from conversation to conversation and the slow pace at which Facebook proceeds with conversations. Well, Tonio, so I listened to that and I thought, hmm, I learned a lot from that. The third time that I remember was the last time, which was about King Alfred the Great. Or was there one before that? There was another one. Tell me, refresh my aging All the way back... Before the Facebook oh, yes. episode. What did we talk about then? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember King Alfred was mentioned just because Carla joined us for that yes. one. It was King this. Alfred was mentioned, but I think we just went off... On everything. On everything. Okay, I'm not going to try and force fit that into what I'm doing here. I'm just going to... Uh, being a member of the Goddard community, which is for me is a community of which I feel... In many, many ways, I belong in this community. And whenever I'm here, I feel so at home. This morning I had breakfast in the cafeteria. There was a residency ending, but I'm not very familiar with the people in the creative writing. But the students who greeted me, students, adults of all ages, of course, they all greeted me like as if, you know, not that they knew me, they just greeted me like a fellow, whatever, you fellowship. And there was one person who was surprised to see me, and I was surprised to see her. That's Annika Clem. She was one of my very favorite students at Sterling College, a college up in Craftsbury, a few towns away, at the time when I was teaching there, and I think also teaching here. They overlapped. Anyway, she now works in the, oh, what's the name of that program where the kids come and they encounter nature? Uh, it was great to see her, you know. Earthwalk? Earthwalk. And... Um, 
And so this morning, okay, I'm a member of the community, right, good. But now let's get to Alfred. We had a session last time, which was about my work. And it really was about my work, but it got me going. You got me going in a way that's uh, liberated me from being too hypnotized by academic discourse and just talking plainly about why is it interesting. This is very important because I'm writing, you know, a book, and if I don't know why it's interesting to other people, I'll, I won't let it all out. I won't let out everything that's, that could be there. So, and I would say that what it was about, to some extent, was about the imagination, the historical imagination, and I'll just flag this one. The difference maybe between imagination and a disciplined imagination, let's say an undisciplined imagination and a disciplined imagination. That left me thinking about that. But the story goes on, Tonya, because Bridget, my dear wife Bridget and me, went down to Boston uh, to pick up fare and bring her. We had something to do in Boston to come back, pick up a dog. And uh, on the way back from Boston, we listened to the show because I had, you, you sent me the link, I had downloaded it onto my laptop and I had not even tried to do something so that I would be on my iPhone. I just had it on my laptop and I thought I'd be able to plug it into the car on the way back and we could listen to it in at leisure for a long drive back from Boston to here. It's a three-hour drive, you know, you get a nice long drive there. And it was really difficult to get the sound to come out the speakers. I tried it with nobody there, and I had it all set up, but when we hit the road, the sound didn't come out. And I was but vowed I was not going to get all uptight like I sometimes do about these technical glitches, you know? Another, oh no, not another learning curve. Turned out that it was coming through the speakers as long as the car was not running, but as soon as the car, the engine, turned over, you couldn't hear the sound. I solved the problem eventually. And so we listened to that one-and-a-half-hour dialogue about King Alfred and storytelling, and I was able to take it in in a way that I normally would not. Because for me to listen, I don't know how you do it, for me to listen to something that's more than five, ten minutes is unusual nowadays. It wasn't unusual when I was young. I didn't have earphones in those days. I sat in front of the record player and we had 78s, if anybody remembers what those were, and I would listen to an entire uh, Beethoven piano concerto or something, turning over the, the, the records when they needed to be turned over. And so here I am listening to this one-and-a-half-hour piece that you and me do, Still with this idea that it's a lot to do with rhythm, what you and me do. The Click and Clack brothers had it, and you and me are the, in that spirit. And it changed my understanding of what radio is. It made me realize that I'm so out of date when it comes to radio. Firstly, I don't listen to radio anymore. I used to listen to NPR, I remember when it started. All Things Considered was fabulous. But I stopped listening during the Iraq war because they had some general on there who was so enthusiastic about the incredible weapons that they were going to use in the war. And the people on NPR were like egging him on. I thought, I don't need this. So I stopped listening to NPR. <laughs> And now I come in to chat with you and it's on the radio. But going back to the first session, in my innocence, ignorance, to be blunt, I thought very few people, you know, are hearing this. But immediately, within days, I ran into two people whom I know who had heard it, listened to it with with interest and enjoyment. Um, and, And so here I am in the car realizing that radio is something today 
It's like movies. You used to go and sit in a movie theater with strangers in the dark and share a long, long fantasy. Why not call it that? Everyone shared it. I also remember when I was a kid in Lane Cove, I've got to tell this one in Australia, we used to go to the Lane Cove Rio for movies every Saturday, my brother and me, and um, and it'd always be, you know, first these black and white uh, serials, cliffhangers we'd call them. Oh, you had to come back next Saturday to find out how on earth he got off the cliff. And then it was Lash LaRue and he had a... He was one of these cowboys, but his specialty was he had a whip. I wasn't very good at guns, but I like this idea of this whip which is somehow wrapped around people and then pulled and they fell over. So I made one for myself, and I was managed to my older brother who beat me up every day. Nobody else was allowed to get near me, but he beat me up every day. And so I wanted to, for once, win in the battle. And I swung my Lash LaRue... <laughs> whip thing and it wrapped it was a rope it was just a long rope on a stick it wrapped itself around his leg and i jerked and he fell over he i'm sure he hasn't forgotten it to this day he laughed and laughed of course <laughs> the thing is that that rope wrapping around there that was that appealed to my mathematical side because i wasn't interested in that you know that oh look it wraps itself around in a spiral but i would never have done this without the shared fantasy of those films well, today a movie is something you can watch on your on your cell on, on your device. You don't have you can watch it anywhere, anytime when you want. And so this was what was happening to me with respect to radio in general and this show in particular. That it too is not what it's that my understanding of what radio is kind of paralleled your understanding of Facebook. If you follow what I'm saying, that you looked at Facebook pretty much, not from the outside, but just dipping your toe into it, as it were, not swimming in it. And my relationship to radio and TV and broadcasting and I don't know what name to use for it. I mean, now there's this thing called media studies, isn't it? You can study it in school. So that instead of studying Jane Austen like I did, and novels, you can study blockbuster films or whatever kind of what what is media studies? Anyhow, there we are. Uh, Facebook communicating through radio. What is radio? What is this? What, what is this community radio? Last time when you greeted me, I remember I said hello, you folks out there. <laughs> well, I'm hi there. I, I'm glad you're there. <laughs> and community. What is a community? How's that for just starting over a recap of the first few things that we did? Very nice. Yeah, and hi there, imaginary people out there. <laughs> Who do actually exist. <laughs> Who do actually exist, but I cannot see them, or, and there's no way for me to know who they are or to quantify them in any way. That's interesting, but you do know some people, because sometimes you do, some face-to-face encounters you have, some people you will never meet and don't know, but I was surprised about this or interested in this thing about quantify in any way. How can that be, that you'd have no way of quantifying whether it's two or 200 or two million? It must be some way. Um, not that I'm aware of. I think you don't mind. Whatever it is, it's okay with you. There, there's the mythical uh, Nielsen ratings. They're, they're a, I guess, a business that is in the business of, of doing these sam- sampling of media observers 
to get a sense of who's listening, how many people are listening, but they just do a sample, like they do, you know, like political polls, like exit polls. Yeah, it, I see things. That's essentially yeah. what it boils down to. Yeah, so it, yeah. it only gives you a well, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. You can't? Um, your volume, I guess, is your issue. Keep going. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's it. There's no way to, for us to know because, uh, I mean, we basically we have no idea. Okay, that's what it boils down okay. to. Okay, well, anyway, you, we'd love to know. Anyway, we don't. Look, it may be interesting to think about what would be the difference if one could quantify. That's, we can come back to that if it interests us, um, but. We'd love to be able to say hello to see people and say hello to them as they're listening, but this is radio. Well, I'm going to throw in uh, an echo of what we talked about, one thing we talked about last time. The verb to broadcast, before there was radio, it was already a verb in English. It meant to broadcast your seed, mm-hmm. as distinct from placing it in the holes in the ground, and let the seed fall where it may, and that's fine. That's a perfectly okay thing to do. You don't have to always be micromanaging where everything you do and say what happens to it. Now, I also want to bring in then the pleasure I get from what I've now learned to call the collage that you use to start off this show, because for you, you've heard it a million times, and I think also for many people, if they haven't heard it, if they've only heard it, never, and hear it for the first time, I think for many people, I'm going to call it the genre, the medium, is not unfamiliar. It's one thing rapidly after another, and normally, I find I don't do too well on those kinds of things that I think of them as visual things. Sometimes I see something on YouTube or my Facebook studies, <laughs> on my Facebook life, which rapidly in the space of a minute shows you, you know, a hundred images. And I'm not good at visual thinking. But listening to your uh, collage, I call it the overture. I'm going to call it the overture. It always gives me great pleasure. It's a guided meditation for me. I take it all in, and I'm always charmed by your... Uh, rhythm. I always bring it back to this thing of the rhythm because I'm hearing a voice, different voices, different accents. It does matter what they're saying, but it and it does in some sense, you know, have a go from one point to another, like a Cezanne painting or something. There is something there, but at the same time, you're being guided by the rhythm and I must say, <clears throat> by the music. And the, the voices and the connotations of the cultural connotations that immediately come through, whether it's a child. <laughs> but it's not a human voice singing. It's something that can only be done with this technique that you have that is so modern. So I was thinking this today as I listened to the whole thing peacefully from beginning to end. I'm on a guided meditation, like when you go to these places where people guide your meditation, you know? And then I was thinking, well, that's what classical... I was listening to it as... I was paying it my full attention the way I do when I'm listening to Bach, which I love to do. And I can pl- listen to it and hear everything he's doing, sometimes more, sometimes more, sometimes more. In this case, I, you know, I followed the whole thing, and I ended up having gone through a ple- pleasant meditation, but also feeling that this is what symphony concerts used to be in the 19th century. People went and sat 
like in the movie theater, pretty much in the dark, and they were guided through a meditation by Beethoven or by Brahms or by some lesser people whom you never hear of anymore. And they enjoyed doing that, and it was a cultural practice. Now, that's a very different thing than sitting in my kitchen in Hardwick with my earphones on listening to something on an MP3 file. But because of my experience, the actual experiences of it, I, it takes me back to that. You know, I'm connected. So where does that leave me? That uh, This guided meditation, this, this artistry you have of cutting bits and pieces, this had to do with what you were saying, you... Uh, uh, various things you throw out there, right? And it doesn't matter. No, that's not where I wanted to end up, is it? No. no. Okay, I'll just leave it to that. I'll just say this, that um, meditation and the imagination. Uh, imagination can be undisciplined. And that seems to be the best. You just go where the spirit bloweth, where it listeth which is a quotation from the Christian Bible, actually. <laughs> Nowadays, you have to footnote quotations from the Christian Bible. You just used to be able to say it. The Spirit bloweth where it listeth. So you just let it go. Light up the J and go with the flow. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's not the same, though, as a disciplined imagination. And that was a topic that emerged from our last dialogue. And likewise, the meditation, you would wouldn't perhaps think of it as disciplining your listener's imagination but anyway people who enjoy this show and listen to it more than once you know look forward to it they enjoy the rhythm of what you do or something like that i'll, I'll leave it at that i think i'll say it's over to you now and what would you like me to do with that <laughs> uh Usually what happens is you find some speck of dust <laughs> ah. and it precipitates some crystal structure that was there and we play around. It's like ping pong. <laughs> ah, yes. I think I'd like you to teach me a little bit about radio. What would you like to know? What is it to you? What is it today? What is radio? What does community radio do? N not, not what did it used to be when there was corporations who had five stations, different stations, and that was it, you know? And you had three choices or something. But what is it today? Something like that. Or where, stories about your own engagement with radio when you were a kid, when you... How come you ended up, you know, being so good at what you do with radio? <sighs> yeah, I love your size. <laughs> <laughs> they say so much. Radio. Well, I think like many people, I started out listening to like commercial music radio uh -huh. and listening to the the current pop hits. Yes. And then later on, as I got older and my listening diversified, I discovered obscure, interesting radio stations that were playing more obscure music. How did you discover them? Where were they? Just by... Twiddling the dial? Turning the dial. You know, just exploring the dial. Exploring... Well, back then it was called exploring the dial. Exploring the range of, of the radio stations that were on the, on the dial. And this, this was back in, in New York City, where... In what decade? Um, in the 60s and, and then oh, the yeah, 70s. Yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. The, the, the live time. And then... And then I have this memory. I have this clear memory of walking in New York City. It was the summer of 1975. I had graduated from high school up here in Vermont. And I went down to New York City with a couple of friends from up here. 
and we we were living in in Manhattan, sharing a loft together with uh, our drug dealer, mutual drug dealer friend, and I remember down in Soho, and I remember walking uptown and walking across Houston Street. Do you know Houston oh, Street? Yes. Houston Street is this is this amazing you I think you you would call something like a boulevard. Mm. A two-way boulevard that has this island in between. It's a good-sized island where there's benches and little strips of grass and trees and there's often um, people panhandling with squirt bottles and rags to wash your car for, for spare change because it, it's the dividing line yes. between the Lower East Side yes. and Soho. Right, it's a border. <laughs> it's, it's a borderland, yeah. And Soho back then yes. was just, just beginning to become what they call gentrified. Yes. It was just beginning yes. that process. Right. It was still mainly just artists yes. and poor people living yep. down there. Because yep. the Bowery Is there a difference between that? <laughs> <laughs> um, back then, there wasn't much difference. No, no. Although, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, go on. So, uh, and, and a lot of these buildings, these loft buildings didn't have elevators right. and they they were these things where you know if you went to visit someone you would like throw a rock up yes, at, at the yes, window on yes, the third or fourth floor and yes. they would throw the key down yes. or else they would have to walk down yes. and it was that kind of lifestyle yep. and there were there were a few bars scattered around that were the uh, the local hangouts yeah. that people would would gather together at night and we used to go, we would start our evening somewhere around 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And we would go out for dinner, usually at, at a bar, get these amazing hamburgers and drink tequila. And, and then we would go out carousing for hours. And then we'd usually come back around 2 or 3 in the morning. Will you still need me at if I come to support at the four, <laughs> would you lock the door? <laughs> and then we would sleep late, and uh, but we we weren't working. We didn't have any responsibilities, so it was it was summer vacation in Manhattan. Yep, and it was quite wonderful. Yeah, but I I remember one afternoon I was walking up from Soho from our place in Soho up into Lower Manhattan. Well, up into the lower, through to the Lower East Side. I don't remember where I was going, but I was walking across Houston Street, and somebody was blaring music from their radio. And what they were blaring was this great piece of music. It was, um, it was Emir Deodato. Do you know who he is? The name rings a bell. Hum me a little. He's a jazz pianist. <laughs> oh, yes. He's a jazz pianist. I think he's Brazilian. Yes. And he did a version. And what, what was playing was this was his jazzy version of 
Thus Spake Zarathustra. Oh, my gosh. OMG. Yes, and it was revelatory. Mm. I remember it was as if I was walking on a cloud. My, my, My emotional state was elevated. I'm listening to this this stunning, gorgeous, mind-blowing music that I recognize, but it's totally different. And it's so lyrical, and it's so beautiful, and I wish I had it here to play. Uh, I could actually find it on YouTube and play it. I do. Let's look for it. But uh, I just remember just being, ah, just feeling so enriched and and mesmerized by this music as I'm crossing Houston Street, which is ah. which is often inhabited by uh-huh. panhandlers and by by people just sitting. It's sort of like a no man's land in 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 the ghetto, kind of, because nobody lives there. Because it's sort of yes, like yes. this strip of park yes, yes. and cars going in yes. four lanes in each That's direction right. around yes, it. Right. So it's a very surrealistic yes, yes. environment. Right. And I'm listening to this gorgeous music as yes. I'm walking across it. And, right. and it's like a, a science fiction scenario. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you surprised with that? So that was, that was <clears throat> a, a new experience of radio. That's, that's like the... Pa- one of the powers of radio, and then later on, I... I'll pause there if you will. Okay, I'll pause there. Yes. That was a lovely thing to hear you tell that story. It took me so much by surprise. I thought you were going to say, well, when I was a kid, I used to listen to the radio. No, it took a long time before the radio even entered into the story, and then when you described it, would you go so far as to say <clears throat> that you felt you had been on a magical mystery tour? Absolutely. I think it was a great story a for... A magical me. carpet ride. It was a, a great story for me and for all of your listeners to hear because it connects with who we are and what we're doing right now and everything you've done, on, as far as I can tell, on WGDR and probably long before that. But anyway, there we are. You... A radio station. You don't know what the radio station was. You don't know who, who. It wasn't indoors. It was on a boombox of some sort, you know. And your description of the location where it was. And at the end, it astonished me by saying like a science fiction thing because we touched on science fiction last time. But anyway, it was. It seemed to tie in with what I'm saying about the imagination. The guided, it guided you. And at the same time, I'm going to stick. Try this out for size. It guided you. Uh, in a way that I say classical music can guide you or that, that the gatherings it's, so there was a, it's not irrelevant that others can hear this same thing that you're hearing that's part of the experience does that make any sense? absolutely I think that's what radio is about is, is this you are sharing it's, it it's a, it's a, I think it's a fledgling attempt to share our deepest experiences or it's something sharing, that's yes. that's of value yes. let, let that me, we love let or me, that moves us right let me play that let me play with that a little bit suppose we just said it allows people to participate in shared experiences before we put any adjectives and adverbs in good right? well done so then we modify it this is one of my little techniques that my mind seems to enjoy doing firstly it is not just an attempt it is a offers a shared experience and then it doesn't always matter how many people are sharing the experience you don't have to know how many people are in the movie theater still if you're in the movie theater and there's only 20 of you and the place holds 500 it's a different kind of thing so it's got to do with shared experiences 
And uh, I think I have to keep talking because you're looking at your <laughs> computer screen. I'm I'm here. I know I'm, I'm multitasking now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, your story about um, that that special borderline place. I had especially warm, intense memories of the uh, subway station at 14th Street. I was down and out in Manhattan for a year in 1976. I was actually homeless for a week and built my way back up. It's many stories about that. I call it my time of troubles. And uh, I got a, a job at something called the Bloomingdale Music School or something. It's nothing to do with Bloomingdale's, the, uh, the, the, the what's it called, the department store. This was up on 96th Street, somewhere there. It was a little music school. For the summer, I got to teach guitar and got enough money to be able to start put getting back on my feet. And this music school used the ORF method, among other things. You could take ORF classes. Now, for ORF... It's ingenious. There are these beautifully made little instruments. They're like a xylophone with pieces of wood. You can change the number of keys. You can play with it a bit. There are certain kinds of drums and different instruments that you can play. And Orff composed all sorts of music for it. <clears throat> but it all tends to be um, you know, versions of, of Viennese classical music. Um, ta ta, um, ta ta, ti ti, ta ti ta ti, pam pam, ti tam tam. Very you know, four square compared to the Caribbean music. And uh, there was this one kid who was Caribbean. He would come in a few minutes early and grab the, the, the mallets and play this incredible music on the xylophone. But I had to tell him, no, it's... Tam, tati, tatim, tam, tatim, tam, tam. <laughs> so part of my... I took it on as part of my job to, to uh, orchestrate for orf instruments Caribbean music. Celia Cruz. Ha llegado el carnaval, el momento de olvidar. Y aunque tu papi no quiere, con ella voy a rodar. Si quieres cosa y olvidar la pena, traigo para ti Liria y Azucena. Si quieres gozar, ay mamita, y olvidar la pena, traigo para ti, ay mamita, y olvidar ta ta. So I got that from an LP that I bought of Celia Cruz. Now, this was this was the first I'd ever heard of Celia Cruz. Well, not quite, because in Mexico she was, but it was basically my first encounter with Celia Cruz. It was an LP, and I've never found all the tracks on it. Uh, some of them, they can't even find. And she, of course, she's got so many tracks now. But I bought it in this store in the down, down there in 14th Street where all the different lines meet. And it had uh, LPs lined up, Martinique, uh, you know these Curacao, these these specific Caribbean islands. Music from that island, music from Brazil, every kind of Latino music you could imagine, and so my world was exploding. And salsa was big at the time. So this was 1976. Now I don't have any trouble with seeing why this is your story about what happened to you with that radio resonated with my memory of buying this LP and uh, that you know what it meant to me. Now, shall we wander back to the question of radio? Um, 
you said, like many people, you said, I began by listening to commercial radio, right? I always, my ears go up. Now we've got this puppy on it as his ears go up when something's interesting. My ears go up, my eyebrows go up. Whenever I hear, like most people, or like many people, I've started to get this bee in my bonnet that we say that for a reason. We have no idea whether most people are like me, but somehow it's reassuring or something, or places me to say, oh, like most people, I such and such. What's the matter whether it's most or many? I mean, this is what I do. Anyway, you're probably right. Most people experience radio by listening to commercial radio stations, right? So I think I have to tell my story about my relationship to radio because come to think of it it's kind of a doozy um i was a kid in australia and in my family we listened to only two radio stations and they were what in england would have been the bbc in australia it was called the abc there was 2fc and there was 2bl 2bl was classical music and every week you could see that on such and such day, on such and such an hour, you could listen to Brahms as this or Schubert that and so on. I, we, I would schedule it and I would listen to it. You mean specific pieces yes, of yes, music right, right. at certain times? Yes. Wow. Right. Because in those days, you couldn't even buy... It wasn't an easy thing to buy a recording of a, of a symphony. I mean, it wasn't a light matter, you know. You had to decide to invest in the money and own the record. And... Um, so this touches something about the history of radio because there was a time where that's what the service of radio was. It would play music that otherwise you wouldn't get to hear. And there was 2BL was the, the classical station. Uh, 2FC was right next to the left on the right, left most one on the right, on the left, uh, left, left uh, it was the 89.9 <laughs> range, 90.1, 90.9. That's what we call it today, but I'm just showing you how hip I am. And... Um, and on that's the left-hand edge. Two FC was was light classical or something like that, and there were some th programs they were allegedly for children, but they were boring. They were dorky. There was one we had to print in, and you were Argonauts, and there was this ridiculous thing called English for New Australians. I was a New Australian. That's to say, immigrants. English for immigrants. You know. Today we will go to a picnic. Today I don't know. We're not going to get into that. The thing is, I went over to Two GB, which was the first commercial station, and it was the best commercial station. There's no doubt about it. And all to the rare, to the right of Two GB, there was also Two UE, Two CH, Two UW, and Two SM on the far right hand side. Each of them was, so to speak, funkier, and they're all this pop music which I never listened to. I'm talking when I was nine, ten, eleven. But every night, my brother and me, it drove our parents nuts. We would sit right next to the radio on the floor, eating our dinner, listening at 6.30 to Biggles. That was Captain Biggles. Oh, no, not, not them again. Oh, be careful. On the left. Radio shows, you know. And there was an Australian one called Yes What, which was all about a classroom where the teacher would cane the kids. It was hilarious. We laughed and laughed. And I didn't listen to any music until somewhere around the age of 13, 14. I had an accordion and I went for two weeks, fortunately, my parents sent me to this farm where there were young teenagers, you know, in early teens, and we just hung out together and they played, they were into pop music. And one of them, whom I was kind of sweet on, Anita, Anita Lamfram, oh, I can't remember her last name, um, was particularly fond of this one. 
The boy looked into her eyes, it was a sight to surprise. It's cherry pink and apple blossom white. Well, now I can see, looking back on it, there was something Latin about it. Suddenly in my parched cultural universe, there was something like the music of my childhood because it had this, this Caribbean and this Latino thing, parallel thirds. And partly because I was sweet on Anita and partly because my world was expanding and I wanted to hear more of this unexpected kind of music, which wasn't by Bach or Beethoven, not on 2BL, I went to the one and only music store in Sydney, Parlings, and bought a record of it and tried to find the sheet music. Well, it turned out there were a number of recordings of it and no two were the same. And the sheet music was also not what was on the record. It was basically a variation on it, but it introduced, though I was unaware of it, introduced me to a world in which what's written on the score is just what they call a fake, you know, the the structure of it, but what you make of it is your own. Anyway, I learned to play that, and, uh, and then I would listen to 2SM as I got more adolescent. 2SM was on the far right-hand side, and it had the top ten. Now, here's a story I've been longing to tell someone, and I think you're a person who will appreciate it, because that's has to do with quantifying who's listening out there and what radio it was. The top ten, one year, Davy Crockett was on the top ten for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. The tune would last for weeks. The top ten was compiled by who, which, con, which tune got the most votes from listeners the, in the past week. But the funny thing was, you didn't vote for the ten that you liked most, because there was a prize if what you voted for was, in fact, the top ten. And I'd lie there in bed realizing, if you're going to participate in this, you're not going to say, I think this is the nicest piece of music. You're going to say, I think most people will think this is the nicest piece of music. And most people will. And so the better you were at guessing what other people were liking, the more likely you were to win the prize. But being the kind of, I don't know, the touch of OCD, I call it the mathematical side of my mind, I don't stop. I keep going. And so I was thought, yes, but if you're, any, if you're at all smart, you won't pick what you think most people will pick. You'll pick what you think most people will think most people will pick. <laughs> and I could sort of glimpse this infinite regression. And that really kind of puzzled me, you know. What, what makes something going to hit? Well, now that I've experienced so much of the world, especially now that I've experienced... Um, important presidential elections, quite a few of them, and all the hoopla that goes into predicting what is going to happen. And now that I understand that there are people who, and have always been, who vote not for the person they think is the best person, but for the one they think is going to win, and all the ramifications of that, now I realize that that 2SM model is worth, you know, preserving somewhere because it's a pretty... uh, uh, well-developed and in- intelligible, rather interesting, ideal type of a voting system. Okay, but I've been reserved of the most uh, relevant part for now. Oh, did you want to comment on anything I want to say so far? 
No, I'm I'm pretty much in agreement. I I love I love that notion of of not voting for what you like, but but what you imagine other people like. So it's the it is this this hall of mirrors, this infinite regression, further and further away from reality. <laughs> well, yes, but you have, but for the but for the model to really have a punch, it ends with somebody with the authority to say that this vote won. These this order of num this ordered sequence of the top ten um, is the correct one. Is you know becomes canonical. Well, it's official. Officially, yes. official. I always, legitimate. I always wondered how they got the top ten because I would listen to what, what you know they would do their countdown and and I would hear these songs and I knew some of the I knew many of the albums that they were playing these songs from and I'd, I'd be thinking, you know, I much prefer this other song from the album than this one, but for some reason this is the one that's popular. I'm, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, those are the kinds of things one used to think of in those days when there was something called the top the top ten. I think they like, still have that. Yes, but I can't believe it's anything like it used to be. It would be interesting to know because somewhere along the way, you know, eventually well, now I now there's Facebook, so people I don't think pay as much attention. This, this is what I was hoping we would get to today. <laughs> it's that overlap that you've helped me across. You talked about the borderland, you know, Houston. How do you pronounce it? Houston Street, not Houston Street. House, I say Houston Street. I believe you. And speaking of which, I'm going to start playing this music, and so just imagine. Oh, this is it. Houston you found Street. It? I found it. I'm going to close my eyes and go on a guided meditation. Well, we can talk over it too. Not me. I, that, that's a sacrilege. You can talk as much as you want. I'm going to go in silence. So I'm 17, and I'm walking across Houston Street, and I'm hearing this music.
So that that's what I experienced at the age of 17, my summer trip in Manhattan after graduating from high school, walking across the borderlands in the middle of Manhattan. And that music is 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 a is a border which is a crossover between classical music and 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 jazz. And here I am listening to it now again, sharing the experience with you, although decades have passed, and we're in a totally different place. And it, it sure was an experience for me to listen to it. I hope you will be kind and email me the link. Sure. Now, simply to say, I could have done this on Facebook, email me the link and someone would. Simply to pass this incredible music around without having to go to Houston Street and find some dude with a boombox playing it is part of what... In, beginning to intrigue me about what I'm going to nickname media. I don't even have a language to talk about this, but what has become to what when I was a kid with separate things and now they're all mishmashed together. I want to say though uh, as soon as that music got going, I really felt there's a difference between sitting and listening and moving to the music. So I had to get up and dance and then I really appreciated it. And then that brings me to what I was saying on one of our conversations about the voice, the un- Un, um, unmodified human voice, just the ordinary human voice when people sing to one another. And likewise, I'll say the difference between, I'm thinking of my Mexican town where we used to dance every Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, to live music, you know? And that brings the community together, I mean, to put it mildly. I mean, well, you could dance for hours and hours and you would get into a trance. Versus listening to something on an electronic medium. It's this, a friend of mine, Rip, you know him, Rip Keller, many, many years ago, in New York City at that time, convinced me that my attitude to electronics and microphones, even microphones, amounted to a sheer prejudice and that I had to get over this prejudice. Uh, still, face-to-face -face music with no acoustic always means more to me because it's, I think, because it's rooted in an actual place in a community and you're not performing. There's a difference between performing. I won't go on this rant. It's not no point. It's not relevant. What I wanted to say was that um, listening to what you played there and then you were quite willing to talk over it, which to me I said is sacrilege. I was wrong. Uh, I recently downloaded the piano part of a uh, Bach flute sonata. I used to be able to play the flute. And this was just a piano part. I used to sit there playing a piano part and trying to sing the flute. But now I had the piano part. The performance was, I think, MIDI. But anyway, it, was, it showed me what the piano part sounded like. This is, it used to be called Music Minus One when I was a kid. You could buy these records called Music Minus One. The solo instrument was left out, but you could have the symphony playing, and then you were playing along with it. So something is missing until you add that. And the same thing, what you played there, and I was listening, and then you were proposing to talk while it was going on. Well, as soon as you started talking, it all came to life much more. You and the music were interacting. And this is what I find so beguiling and bewitching and magical and mysterious about your collages, which is why I talk about rhythm, because your voice rhythms, the rhythm of what you spoke and the up and down of your voice, were part of the conjunto of the of the teamwork of the band uh, and so that's the musical side of speech but let's get back to the question of electronics or shall we or shall we let this go broadcast it whatever you, wherever you want to go and wherever you want to go where would you like to go now I'm happy listening to you. <laughs> yes, you look like it. Okay, I'll tell you 
this other part of my experience with radio. I've told you that there was this station called 2GB, and I did used to listen to it. I don't know why it was okay compared to the other commercial stations. But it had maybe a little more class or something. I don't know, maybe better. I don't know what. But it had these uh, shows. Pick a box. I don't know what, they, what we call these shows with Jeopardy and those, those kind of shows. Game shows. Game right? shows. Game yeah. shows. All radio, you know. Uh, and there was one called The Quiz Kids. And it was very popular. It was played on... It was uh, part of the Macquarie Network, which had stations in every town. Uh, you know, 99% of people in Australia in those days lived in the six big cities on the coasts. But they were t- smaller towns, and so maybe an 80%, I don't know. Anyway, on every radio... Every, every one in Australia could listen to 2GB if they wanted to. And the Quiz Kids was on 8... 7 o'clock on Sunday nights, prime time. Sponsored by Johnson & Johnson. I hear background music, and it is that music that you played in your collage, uh, which I thought came from 2001. The, you heard another version, another version, yeah, another yeah. collage. Yes, but yes. I use the yes. I use the yes, uh, this, the classical version, yes. not this version. This one. Yeah, but it has the same thing. You go, da, ba, tita, and then that last little bit changes. Tita, tita, which is very much like Bach. If you really enjoy Bach, it's because he takes a theme like this. Even the simple. Here it comes. And it all opens up to the sky. That's very, uh, yeah. Okay. Would you mind turning that off? <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like somehow you managed to get me to into the swimming pool a little bit out of my depth and we're proposing to swim not to shore but sort of we're not in the swim, we're on the, swimming across the ocean. <laughs> I don't know where that came. I wanted to come back well, to Well, the world of radio is a vast ocean. No, it had to do with listening to this music while I talk over it. Oh, you I were see. so good at it, but I can't do it. I'm a total beginner. Really? Isn't that interesting? You were doing fine for a while. You didn't until even I became it. aware of it. Oh. Isn't that surprising? Well, you can let it animate you. You could, you might just need to take a moment or two to feel into it. Oh, I think it would take more than a moment or two. It would take. Um, it's a practice, as we say here at Goddard. You, you're comfortable with it. You've done it. It's no big deal. You're, you're used to it. Because there's, there's there's actually there's a lot of radio. Sh- it's it's one of the trending things with podcasts these what, days. What is to to tell stories over music? Yes, yes, and uh, and I'm, until I met you and started working with you like this, I didn't pay enough attention to notice. You know. What an interesting thing that is. But I do notice, because of my Facebookology, which for me is, let's not be too uh, delicate about this, it's my way of slumming. (laughs) 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 To see, you know, what's going on down there. And not stay in my library tower forever. Every so often I go into that world and see what's going on on the street, you know. And, um, And people post things that look like their videos. And the one that really gets my goat, you click on it and nothing happens. It's a still that goes on for 30 seconds, oh, it's just a still, but you have to click on it. I've, you can't tell not to click on it, because until you click on it, you don't know it's not a video. Oh, man. What a rip-off. But they are, then there are these others that really should have been silent. They're put together with some um, generic uh, editing thing, and they've got sometimes an interesting story to tell, little clips and so on, and they have to put some background music on it. And so they choose one of these generic bits of background music that is utterly irrelevant to what you're watching on the screen, which could be... 
intriguing animals 3,000 feet below the surface in the ocean or whatever it is and this music which is totally irrelevant and that brings back another memory and since you let me tell my memories this has to do with the Sydney University annual international film festival which we went to when I was a kid and there would be these um, black and white movies sometimes and in those days, in the 1920s, somebody would sit in the, there at the piano or the organ and make up the music while, while, the, while the stuff was going on in the show. This is the inverse of what you were just doing, where the music is following what's on the screen rather than... Okay, but anyway, the relationship between background music and what your foreground is something that interests me, but I'm just not good at uh, listening to the... Now, I think if I probe just a little deeper... I'll say my analogy about the guided meditation, I started to feel that going to the movies has uh, a genealogy. It, it, it comes from going to the opera. And going to the opera was also the community gathers together in different levels of class and watch or don't watch what's on the stage. The stage is literally a three-dimensional stage with actors. And that grew out of the Baroque version of the latin mass of the catholic mass where the community would come into a space on sundays and be guided through a real meditation so you don't do things in mass you don't start chatting you you can but it's not the done thing you don't do it over the mass it's not where you're meant to pay attention nor does the preacher get up and start talking while the music's playing nor in a movie theater do you chat with someone nor at an uh, orchestra uh, you know a symphony on concert not that i've been ages since i've been to a symphony but anyway this is the the formation is the term i learned to use the the formation the religious formation that i had of honoring what is, I suppose, sacred about this kind of thing. So for me to talk over that beautiful music would be uh, surprising to me to find that it wouldn't be easy for me to do, you know? It's like uh, it's like it's not kosher. <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, I enjoy it so much when you do it, and, and now I understand what it is about the collages, how you put them together, and why they intrigue me so much. Still and all... I think I'll leave that dangling. We can come back to it if we want to. Okay. I'm in the middle of this story about 2GB and the Quiz Kids. These shows in Australia, there was no TV in those days in Australia. These shows were extremely dorky. And let me just say, this is WGDR Plainfield and WGDH Hardwick, Goddard College Community Radio. And I'm here with Tomas Kalmar, and we're chatting away. And I'm not even going to have a cigarette break. (laughs) I'm getting better at the rhythm I will say after our delicious little break there that listening to that one show about King Alfred on the road out of the speakers of our car out there in you know going through uh, Concord and Manchester and up through Route 93 um, what was I going to (laughs) say oh yes that listening to it from beginning to end with no interruptions was very much like an experience that I used to have when I was young, when I would be willing to sit in somewhere in silence for an hour and a half listening to something. And I do feel that you and me have somehow been able to jam, as I call it, for a nice, long, leisurely and satisfying jam that goes on for an hour. That was last time. Then we have a break, and then we have a little coda. Until now, I didn't realize we have half an hour. So in the half hour remaining, 
picking up where we left off, our intrepid hero was last seen listening to 2GB <laughs> on a Sunday night. We didn't, I didn't listen to it much. The Quiz Kids were really a dorky show. Uh, Mrs. Higginbottom, there were two, six Quiz Kids, and there was this guy called John Deese, who spoke correct English. And Mrs. Higginbottom's from Wagga Wagga writes the following question for John. And then there would be this quiz question. And if John couldn't answer it, anybody else, one of any other six couldn't answer it. And if nobody could answer it, Mrs. Higginbottoms won a prize. And the prize was some product of Johnson & Johnson. It might be baby powder or it might be uh, a toothbrush. <laughs> I'm not making this up. <laughs> now, in 1953, I think that's when, my parents went to, I think, Japan, which was unheard of, and I stayed with a friend of the family. And I was, at that time, had started going to Ataman Primary School. It wasn't called a program for gifted children the way it would be here. It was called an opportunity school. But it was a, the two good years of schooling that I had in Australia. Australian schools were grim back then. I don't know how grim they are now. They were all segregated by gender. It's hard to believe. because everyone was white. I had this somewhat dubious appearance, and one teacher in second grade made me go scrub my neck. And she said it was filthy. I tried to tell her, I it was learning English, I knew some English, plenty by then, that it was not dirty, but she could see it was dirty, and she finally gave up. And my parents were very interested when I told them this story <laughs> at home. But that's not really part of the story. The thing is, um, the show was run by this guy, John Deese, and I was at this school, the Ataman Primary School, and uh, in, in the... Yes, that's right, it was segregated by gender. This was probably PTSD that made me lose the thread. Uh, boys went to a boys' school and girls went to a girls' school. In high school, you were caned if you were seen talking to a girl while you were in school uniform. Can you imagine? And um, not Ataman. Ataman was co-ed. Two years. But that was just one of the things. It was today we would call it progressive, you know. They had this wonderful headmaster and this terrific teacher, Mr. Lowry, the sainted Mr. Lowry. All my friends know how much I still adore Mr. Lowry for what he taught us. We had him for fifth grade and sixth grade. And we were really very, very happy there. And John Deese came to Ataman to look for potential new quiz kids. And so I was a chosen to go and be a guest on the show. If my parents had been in Australia, they would never have permitted it. <laughs> uh, they did a great job of protecting me from discovering that I'm a genius. <laughs> right? But they were away. And so I got to be on the show. I didn't acquit myself very honorably. But I landed up being one of the quiz kids. So for a few years, my name, Tom Kalmer, my name was a household word in Australia. Every Tuesday, every Sunday night, this was broadcast over Australia. So you'd think I have some relationship to radio, wouldn't you? And it's, in fact, a rather surprising one. When, but but it's, I never think about it until recently. I've started remembering, oh, yeah, right, I used to do that. And I got paid £3.10 shillings a week. That would be comparable in those days to about $7 a week. 
The pay had been the same since the show began before the World War II. The show had begun in Sydney in 1930-something, and the Johnson & Johnson had been the sponsors all that time, and, uh, and they had never raised the amount of money you got paid for being on the Quiz Kids, right? But I put the money away in a savings bank. The show was recorded on Friday nights, and um, it didn't... We played then two weeks later, so there was a live audience on the Friday nights on Macquarie Street in Sydney. I, I, I remember so vividly the place. My family paid very little attention to this. My mother loves to tell the story that when John Deese called her and said, this is John Deese here, to ask permission to have me on the show, when she's come back, you know, she said, how do you spell that? And that's as if, you know... Uh, Dan Rather called up, or, or, or <laughs> Walter Cronkite. This is Walter Cronkite here. How do you spell that? Right? <laughs> and she likes to say that in response, he stammered. <laughs> she didn't know what she was, you know. But there are two family stories that are fun to remember. I'll just tell one of them, but maybe more than two. Um, my brother did sometimes attend and sit in the front row. And once it was Mrs. Wally, Mrs. Higgins from you know, Wagga Wagga asked the following question. In the Bible, in the King James Version, why are some words italicized, even though they're simple words like if or but or and? And John Goldring didn't know the answer, so I put my hand up. And my brother was heard to say quite loudly from the front row, I didn't know Tom read the Bible. <laughs> we thought that was very funny. <laughs> it didn't come across. They edited that out. I didn't know in those days about editing. Anyway, this is just reminiscing, an old fart reminiscing about when he was young. But but on the other hand, it's also remembering what radio was, you know? Mm -hmm. And... Um, radio is a very personal experience. Well, what did it do to me? To be... I mean, thank God it wasn't like these American shows. I was not, you know, a celebrity... Uh, and I think it, it doesn't, can't do anybody psychologically any good to have millions and millions of people who do that to you. I wouldn't want to be one of those people. And so I've been very good at not being famous ever since. <laughs> Though now you've discovered me and we don't know what's going to happen next. <laughs> As Carla would say, what will all our millions of listeners do with you now? <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you then... Uh, this show, you mentioned, sort of off the cuff, is heard sometimes, some of your shows are heard on radio stations that are not here in Goddard or, uh, or up there in Hardwick? Explain to me the basic, very basic mechanics of that. Well, I, I take a recording of this show and I pare it down to an hour. Oh! And then I, I uh, put it on the Pacifica Network. Pacifica Network? Yeah, where... Oh, my and goodness. Any Pacifica affiliate stations around the country can can download it and use it in their programming. OMG. Um, is it a good thing or a, a, a faux pas on your side that you never mentioned this to me before you had me on? I had no idea that there were so many potential listeners out there. Hi, you guys out there in southern Illinois. I'm glad to be you know, part of your world, too. <laughs> <laughs> if you're out there in southern Illinois, hi, Patty. <laughs> Speaking to our f to future listeners. <laughs> well, yes, but not that far in the future. But you don't know which times they, which ones get taken up. Sometimes, no idea. Well, I, I've 
I have a little, some idea of some of them, but but actually the, a lot of them I have I have no idea about. I've I've heard about some through you know from hearing just by chance, just by chance. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a it's a mysterious world. Well, it's a world you're comfortable with. I mean, you're not the kind of person who feels you have to administer this in the sense of, you know, getting the quantification and so on, da, 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 and maximizing this and minimizing that. And No, you just broadcast. Let the seed fall where it may. Anyway, here we are, radio, Facebook. I wouldn't have uh, had all this experience if you hadn't brought me in, then got me talking about my Facebook post, which was hilarious to me. Then I posted on Facebook... This is the flip side of the story. I posted the link to the Alfred thing. And I quantify in the sense that, you know, sometimes 10 people like one of them, sometimes they comment and so on. This time I had a whole bunch of people who I was thought might really enjoy listening to the whole thing uh, because they know that I've been working on Alfred and stuff, but they're not in academia. And someone, one is in Mexico, one is in Chile, people around the country. And so I tagged them. Nothing happened. Nobody saw it. So I redid it. I did it a different way. And I think something odd happened. I think if you put a link to SoundCloud, I'm going to ask my son Dimitri about this, Facebook limits the number of people who see it. I know that happens if you put a link to YouTube. They don't want people to watch your YouTube links. So if you link to YouTube on your post, many less people see it. It's much better to put the link in the first comment or the second comment. Then, of course, people don't know that there's a link, but you can say for links, see second comment or something. Uh, and so I wondered if that had something to do with it, or whether I tagged too many people. But anyway, I had hoped that through Facebook many people would listen, right? Now, there's this interweaving, and I don't know how to wrap my mind around it, and it probably doesn't much matter. But anyway, the distance between Facebook and community radio, I'm going to try this out for size. What I learned from this experience so far, my hypothesis is, the distance between community radio and Facebook is far shorter than I ever imagined. I'm going to try that out. But it's also impossible to measure. Everything's fractal now is what I'm seeing. Everything is bits and pieces all intertwined. It's all a collage now. It's all a collage. And so if I want to write a, you know, a learned multi-volume book on something, forget it. Even to write a big fat book, which I always thought I would do, is a bit of a stretcher because not that many people are going to read it and it's going to cost 100 euros. If you want to buy it, only universities will buy it and then people will read it online. And when they read it online on their uh, digital versions, it's not the same as turning over the leaves and reading a book leisurely. And so the tone of voice and the things you say have changed. The world has changed and uh, you brought me into the 21st century before it's too late. (laughs) What do you think of the 21st century, now that you're here, finally? I'll tell you what I think. Because when you ask me questions, you, you, know, you encourage me to just answer them. <laughs> I think of when Timothy Leary was new, if I may phrase it that way. And my sainted mother, this was in Berkeley, came into the room with the newspaper and she said, there's this guy in San Francisco who says he's got some pill that if you take it, you're going to have mystical experiences. I think you should go and try it. And I said to her, no way, I'm not going to take a pill that gives me music. You're that interested? You try it. She never did. (laughs) But in those days, when LSD was new, you didn't just pop it. I never did get around to trying it. You didn't just pop it, but I did read read it up. You had a... a Somehow or other, you didn't need it. Oh, that's so sweet of you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, 
just imagine what would become of me if I let go of the last remaining <laughs> blinkers. Um, uh, but the, the thing is that I knew then that if I ever did it, I would want to prepare for a day in meditation. I would want to go out into the wilderness with a trusted guide who would make sure that if I'm swimming way out of my depth, I would be okay. So what do I think of being in the 21st century? As long as I'm in your company, I don't get scared. But as soon as I leave you and go home, the glow continues, but I'm mighty grateful to go back to the 19th or sometimes the 20th century. and I'm in between, betwixt and between, but I think I'm not doing too bad. I remember when my father was a bit older than I am now, but yeah, he was older. He was 10 years old. He was in his 80s. And he couldn't see much anymore. He was could see out of his right eye, and he was staring at his computer screen, and the and the icons were so small. It was a Mac, an old-fashioned Mac desktop. And so, to do him a favour, I'm bigified, magnif- you know, blew up a bit. The, the icons that they were bigger, to, easier to see. So the next day he got on to, he says, everything's changed. I said, yeah, I made it easier for you to see. He says, no, no, I want it the way it was. So I took it back to the way it was. You know, so. I have, and I was, as you might say, as many people say, I think most people have, like many people, like most people, I have certain, you know, certain patterns in my life that I think of as rodent-like. What I mean is, our kids had hamsters when they were little. You clean out the hamster thing and you put in fresh straw. They're not really happy till they've made their burrows. They burrow around, they burrow around, and so you get your your, your ruts and your furrows, and you and and you're and you're happier because you've got your little routines, you know. And there's no particular reason why at my age I have to make the icons bigger or or get more into you know, rap for example. It's so hard for me to follow rap. I had a, one of my very first advisees at Goddard. Was and this was in 2001. Was really into rap or hip hop or something of that sort, and and we agreed that in that semester he would teach me how to follow it, and he sent me the actual lyrics. I suppose is the term, which made all the difference. And that I started to realize how poetic it all is, but the speed at which you have to process it. But in the middle of your what I call your guided meditation, the collage, the overture with which you begin your magical mystery tour. There was something approaching that towards the end. Instead of a conversational voice or a pontificating voice or a, the, the voice of the generic white man commentator, uh, there was this bit of, you know, rhythmical hip-hop something where I couldn't quite follow the words, but I was just speeding up is all. It was just an accelerando of the previous pace. So how do I feel? I think I should do a... Tonio-esque sigh. Ah, no, I can't quite do it. Mm. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Now, I don't know if this is interesting or not, so you tell me whether we can drop it or pick it up. You told me when I asked you your own relationship to radio, you told me a really wonderful story that for me serves as a figura, that's to say it prefigures the person you are today and some of the things you do today. Oh, do you want me to continue? I would be very curious to know more about your interaction with radio as you are, how you got to what you now do from there. Okay, I'll tell you another step in in the progression. Oh, goody, goody. When I was living out in San Diego, I used to listen to the, the L.A. NPR station, which was KCRW, and they used to play uh, some amazing things. There was two things that I used to listen to regularly that I was totally infatuated with. One was um, 
Radio Theater by ZBS Media, which was this subversive um, kind of mystical, tongue-in-cheek band of of (laughs) misfits and creative renegades creating fantastic um, radio theater. Great characters, great actors. um, And there was also Joe Frank. And Joe Frank, what he did was he wrote these, these very moody, atmospheric pieces, and he would read them over music. And it was an, a real experience. It was a medita- It was a guided meditation. It was what, back in the the late sixties and early seventies, would be called a trip. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa! Well, I, I can't use that word anymore. <laughs> uh, absolutely, but pe- I don't know if people nowadays will will know exactly what you're talking about. But it was a trip. I loved it. And this was in the early 80s. It was way up. I was, I was listening to this in the early 80s. And often what would happen is I would, I'd, I'd listen in my car because for some reason cars have the best radio reception. Something and right. I was picking up a radio station that was up in L.A., which is like 120 mm, miles north I see. of San Diego. I see. That's helpful to understand. And it was hard. I, I could get the station in my house, but not as well. So I'd be sitting in my car captivated to these radio shows sometimes. I mean, I remember pulling up outside my house or pulling up somewhere and just sitting in my car for like half an hour listening to this stuff because I couldn't, I couldn't bear to miss anything. Let me see if I can fast forward you a little to when you first started creating your own radio shows. Okay. So... Um, I started by doing music and I based it like you I started I was listening to NPR when it first started like in the mid 70s and it was excellent it has gone so downhill it is it has become they're they're now pandering to to the the mainstream yuppie crowd. Oh, who knows what they're doing. And fresh air. I always wanted to be on fresh air. <laughs> I imagine that... that uh, I like fresh air. I imagine that Terry Gross was interviewing me and wanting me to talk about the Mexican farm workers and the illegal <laughs> aliens, and I kept trying to bring the conversation around to King Alfred the Great. Yeah. I don't need Terry Gross now. I have Tony Epstein. Right. I got to all the my stories. Go on. Yes. Go on. So anyway, on sun- Saturday or Sunday night... There was this show called The Glass Bead Game. Oh. Remember that book? No, I never wanted to read it. I didn't okay. like it. Anyway. <laughs> Everybody um, likes it. Unlike most people, I don't. Well, I hadn't read the book oh, back then. Okay, let's talk about it in length. <laughs> and there was this guy who did the show, and he never spoke, but he played fantastic music. Oh. And, and often, it would the theme of it would be relevant to what was happening in the world at the time. Uh-huh. And he never said anything isn't that interesting? Except he had this thing. He said at the, begi- at the beginning, he said, warning, the following program is, brought, is produced by somebody who is left-handed. And then at the end, after an hour of his glorious 
um, collage of music, he, the music would fade out, and they would, there would be like 15, 20 seconds of silence, and then he would go, Hey, Rock, I think somebody's listening. And that would be it. And very, I listened every, very much every Saturday night. It was, when I, it was on from 11 to midnight. And then, it, then, then the v, VPR went off the air. And I loved that, that program. It was the best. And so when I started doing my music show... Where was that? Here. Oh, yes. I modeled it after that. Oh, I'm so glad I asked. I'm so glad I asked. And I didn't speak. I would create, I would create pre-recorded... <laughs> Mm-hmm. station ideas yes, and yes. things like that just so that right. I wouldn't have to right. speak because I didn't right. want to interrupt the right. flow right. of the, right. the emotional, exactly. psychological, right. the journey, the trip, yes. the collage of music. Yes, yes. And I did that for many years. Yes. Well, and now here we are. Now, this whole thing from the story about... Well, we'll just have to find out who this is. Yes. Welcome, you're on the air. Hi, this is Cynthia, and I'm sorry to interrupt. Oh, no. Um, but I, I wanted to say, guys, that if, um, if you want to know more about community radio, you might want to ask your listeners sometime and put out that number. It would be interesting to hear from other people um, in the community what community radio means to them. Wow. And... Um, you know, I, I hear I'm on the community advisory board, and I, I'm, I'm very, um, I appreciate this station so much. It's, it's, it's not to be taken for granted, because um, just a, a quickie here. I mean, the corporate. You're asking, how do you know who's um, listening? Well, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, they tell by how many people contribute. And I'm not trying to fundraise here, but we, we are in jeopardy, and we we have to earn a lot, lot more than we used to. And um, so, that said, you know it's it's um, it, it's you know it, it depends on whether you want people to call in or not. Whether you say four five four seven seven six two, and then you just press one, one puts you on the air. Um, so immediately. So, um, you know, I just wanted to say that because I, I think GDR is, is a gem. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about it, truthfully. So, um, you know, I appreciate Tonio's show. I think he's, he's really come into his own with, I've listened to him over many years. And, uh, it's, and GDR is not soundbite radio. Where could you hear a discussion go on as long as an hour and a half? anywhere else nearby so i just wanted to say that because i i feel that it, it really i i appreciate tomas that, that i think that's your name it is um that 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 you're you know you feel differently about community radio now because i i get really frustrated listening to any other uh yeah, station I, I believe because you. they just get going and then it's over right so, and, and at the end of the show, so I'll get off, but, you know, you may consider that sometimes, asking people in your conversation, if you want. Sometimes it gets derailed when we all jump in, but this is a, a, a very interesting community. And uh, just, so, okay, I'm, that's my two cents. Okay, thank you. 
Okay, thank bye. you. Thank bye you. So actually, I've been thinking about, I've been wanting to do that, to open up the phones and just get some feedback from people on on the show, on on what they'd like to hear, on on just what and, their thoughts about things. Right, and in addition to feedback, just think of it as people can join the conversation. Absolutely. Right. I used to do a lot more of that in the past, and and we and and I can go back there, but it's a little harder to choreograph make that work to choreograph it when yeah. I have the syndicated thing yes, because. Right, right. I think I think that's an option because we were just talking. But about I would like to do a show, a yes. at least one dedicated show. We could yes, to doing that, right. and if you're including me, I'd be happy. Yeah, to, yes, right. be happy to have you join me doing yeah. that. But there's another thing that Cynthia brought up, and that is that we have to raise money, and there's something about um, uh, as a. I don't necessarily. I don't usually think of myself as an artist, but. In a sense, that's what I'm doing. This is this is my creation, and while I'm doing it, I don't really want to be concerned with yeah. the financial right. burdens right. of right. it. I that's, want to be fully engaged yes, in, in, in the craft. Right. Uh, uh -oh. We've got only a minute, right? Welcome. You're you're on the air. What I'm doing. Hey, um, Tom. Yeah. Uh, just wanted to mention that uh, some of your pre your predecessors for uh, people who uh, were doing this before you, who were great, were Gene Shepard and Ken Nordine, of course. Oh yes, I I'm not familiar with Gene Shepard, but I I I've listened to a lot of Ken Nordine. Yeah, well, I I grew up on Gene Shepard. I could, uh, a generation before you, and, it was, uh, and he was really the, uh, I don't know if he was officially the, the start of beginning or beginning of all these things, but... Uh, well, we, we're going to have to end the show now, unfortunately. Yeah, I know. So, uh, thank, thank you. you for that. Yes, thank you. Okay. Thank B you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. And there's a preview to a future show. People calling in and participating. But that's it for this Magical Mystery Tour. Tomas, thank you so much for joining me. And all of you out there, thank you for listening. And until next time, have a wonderful week.